Well, I hope you have the reading glasses closed because you're going to need it for this edition of the Speaking for Him podcast. I'm Adam McNutt alongside the host of the program, Mr. Andrew Gommerson. Hello, Adam. It's good to be with you on this Friday for our podcast. And I am grateful to be joined once again in the studio by um, our resident book club co-host, Naomi Van Harn, to discuss book two for this year of our Speaking for Him book club, the Paladins. And I think I've told you before that I was super excited about this book uh, because it was written by a friend of mine, so an author that I actually know personally. Um, it was great to have him in the studio a few months ago to record an interview where he talked about why he wrote the book and some of the inside stuff about it. And so you will find a link to that podcast in the blog post for this podcast. So look for the the podcast labeled The Paladins on the Speaking for Him blog, and you will find that information. Um, and we will dig into our um, book discussion as we go here. But first, Adam has a quote of the day. It's kind of a book in itself here, so bear with me. But this great idea then is the backbone of all folklore, the idea that all happiness hangs on one thin veto, all positive joy depends on one negative. Now, it is obvious that there are many philosophical and religious ideas akin to or symbolized by this, but it is not with them I wish to deal here. It is surely obvious that all ethics ought to be taught to this fairy tale tune, that if one does the thing forbidden, one impairs all the things provided. This is the profound morality of fairy tales, which so far from the being lawless go to the root of all law. Instead of finding, like common books of ethics, a rationalistic basis for each commandment, they find the great mystical basis for all commandments. That is from Mr. G.K. Chesterson. And there's a lot in that quote, but to boil it down and to bring it out of the Eugene Meltzner vernacular, for those who are familiar with Adventures and Odyssey, um, I would just say I like this quote because he's talking about the power of a fictional story. I've heard some people say that they... Um, never read fiction and they kind of advise against it. But um, I've always been, a, I've always found an appeal um, to novels. As a matter of fact, it's kind of interesting because the, the two uh, kinds of books that I most like to read are novels and autobiographies. So kind of polar opposites, if you will. But um, I think there's a lot of power in a fictional story. And I think part of it is because the writer gets an opportunity to take the story uh, wherever he wants to. Now, right now, as we record this, I'm working on my autobiography. Um, I already have the uh, the ebook uh, Men of Valor, which you I have a link in every blog post about how you can buy a copy of that ebook from Amazon. But but once I finish with my autobiography, my goal is to begin writing. Christian fiction and to hopefully get to the point where I'm writing a book a year. That might be a little a little uh, bit much considering that it takes me so long to get motivated to write because the ironic thing for me is that writing is a solitary pursuit and I'm not a solitary person. I like to be around other people so maybe I can find some collaborators to work with in my writing. Um, but all that to say that uh, fiction holds a a special place in my heart. So it's great when we get to find some good books that we can truly recommend to you on the fiction front. 
that not only tell a good story, but also have some great lessons for us. And that is certainly the case with the Paladins. So right now, it's my privilege to welcome Naomi Van Harn back to the studio to discuss this book with us. Welcome back, Naomi. Thanks for having me. All right, Naomi. Um, well, let's start out this way. Why don't you give us your initial thoughts about the Paladins? Um, I think this is a great book if you have young boys. To like not, you know, like 12 and up, perfect book for them. And um, there's four main characters and three of them are boys. And I appreciated that because although there are a lot of bo- uh, books out there for boys, this one has adventure and uh, character building. And there's, there's a lot in there that, um, yeah, my first thought was, I need to save this because when my boys get older, they will love this book. <laughs> so, And I would say that I really like this book. I think that if it had a weakness, it would just be that it, it kind of takes off a lot of different books. Like it, it felt like you're reading the Chronicles of Narnia mixed with uh, the Lord of the Rings mixed with the Pilgrim's Progress mm-hmm. mixed with, you know, pretty much every allegorical um, slash Christian fantasy type of book there is kind of all rolled into one and it was good, but there just seemed to be a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that kind of made it a little uh, difficult of a read at certain points, but I really like this book and I'm excited to um, kind of dig in. Uh, the premise is basically these four um children and if you go back to the to the podcast where we talked to tim stoner um i believe it's just called author spotlight and we talked to tim stoner who wrote the book about why he wrote it and he says that each of the easier of the children in the book are modeled after one of his children he has five children now but at the time that he wrote it he had four children Mm -hmm. and so each of them are kind of represented in this book. So when you know his family, as I do, it kind of makes even more sense the way that he wrote each character, which adds a depth to it, which I always find kind of interesting. You know, the the thing that they always post in the beginning of every novel is this is a work of fiction (laughs) and any resemblance to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. And essentially that's, that's so that nobody will sue you if they find themselves in your book. However, from what I know about fiction authors, many of them do base their characters on real people. Um, matter of fact, Karen Kingsbury has a very successful series in which she bases a character on her daughter mm-hmm. um, who actually had a fa- has a Facebook presence where for a long time she was actually interacting with people as the fictional character. And then she still maintains the page now that her mom's not writing as much about that character, but maintains it as herself rather than the character. So it's kind of interesting how that works. But, um, so I always find that, that, um, disclaimer kind of odd because Mm -hmm. most fiction writers, um, base people on people they know. So if you know a writer, then make sure that you are being good to them so that when they write about you in their books, that they don't write you as a villain. That's right. That's lesson number one. So just for for all my friends, when I start writing novels, keep that in mind. But no, <laughs> seriously, there's some really good characters here. 
Um, and I really uh, liked this book. And I, and I told Naomi as I was finishing it just today, actually, just as before we came in to record, um, I was like, you know, I hope he writes a sequel, which incidentally, um, if you listen to the show that I referred to earlier where we talked to him, he says there was a young man who was in seventh grade, I think a couple or sixth or seventh grade, a couple of years ago. And he asked for a sequel, but he hasn't written one. He hasn't written a fiction, a work of fiction since, since 98, he's written several nonfiction books, but so we'll have to see if, um, if he will write a sequel. I actually read an Amazon review, I think it was, where a guy actually said that he was uh, writing an unofficial sequel because he tends to do that with uh, books that he likes. He just starts writing about the characters, which is kind of interesting to think about. Um, but anyway, we're going to continue uh, to discuss this. Um, uh, Naomi, what did was there anything particular that stuck out to you as far as the humor of this book, the dwarf. He's just a cute character. He's just kind of that, the light humor throughout the book. And I liked him. Oh yeah, he is. He, he keeps things moving and, and, but he's, he's, he's very much a hero. Um, mm-hmm. He's bigger than his size and he's definitely there for the heroes as they go through uh, the story. And there's a lot of twists and turns. Like I said, even to the last, well, I said this off mic. I'm not sure if I said it on the podcast yet, but even up to the last couple of chapters, there are some surprises that you mm-hmm. um, will be kind of blown away by. And so I guess when I was talking about it being a mashup of so many different books, I'd throw Frank Peretti in there as well. Mm-hmm. That There's an element of I, that. I thought of him a lot. So pretty much everything you can think of, <laughs> yeah. which is a smorgasbord, which is a good thing. Trust me. It's a very good book. So, I really liked the way the kids interacted with one another. And one of the humorous things that happened was right before they go into Istar, I think it's called the the mythical land, they're riding their bikes and they all happen to have uh, biking uniforms, which I thought was interesting because I don't know too many people personally that, that ride their bikes with biking uniforms. I know they're out there, (laughs) but I, I don't know any, any, uh, Lance Armstrong wannabes uh, uh, personally, so I don't really have much experience with seeing people actually ride their bikes in biking uniforms. So I thought that was kind of funny that they show up in the land with their biking uniforms and then they have to um, kind of try to explain why they're dressed so weird to everybody else that they think is dressed weird because it's something totally different than what they would have expected. Mm -hmm. Which incidentally... Brings me back. Brings me back to Adventures in Odyssey, which I referenced earlier, which is because often in their Imagination Station episodes, the kids have the same thing where people are like, "Why are you dressed this weird? And where in the world is Odyssey? Mm-hmm. Um, like, are you Greek or something?" <laughs> but, yeah. but anyway, uh, so I I, I just thought that was a very humorous part um, when they were trying to explain that and why they would be wearing such clothes. All right. Um, uh, the next thing we want to cover is what do you think is the biggest lesson of this book? 
And I'll go to Naomi for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to read a quote because I thought this summed up what I was thinking. This book's bold and timely message is one of nonstop, can't-put-me-down adventure reminding us that there is a world around us that we can't see, but it is real. And that's on the back of the book. It's Pam Thumb, a recording artist. Yeah. And I just thought, like, you can see where he's kind of pulling stuff from their everyday showing the spiritual struggle. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And this is where the Pilgrim's Progress part comes in because there's one thing that they're told a few times, and that is read your scrolls every day. Every day, mm-hmm. they the scrolls that they had in their in their wallets would miraculously change, and there was a message for them every day. And it just underscores the need in the real world for daily Bible reading. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, by the time you listen to this, I will have finished our Bible in 90 days reading plan. I uh, don't know how many people out there actually read with us, but um, I just find it to be a good way uh, to keep myself motivated, um, to make sure that I read through the Bible at least once a year. And um, I don't always read my Bible every day, but it's a good reminder that if we read our Bible every day, we will have greater success in a lot of ways than if we neglect it. I remember when I was in college, particularly, I would sometimes say, well, I'm doing Bible classes, so, and I have so much due that I'm not going to do my devotions today because I'll be reading the Bible from my Bible class. And then <clears throat> I would get halfway through the day and I'd be like, I'm not getting anything done. <laughs> <laughs> but the day is that I would spend my half an hour with the Lord or an hour, I would get more done. You know, and be like, I would be like miraculously have more time. And it was like God was saying, if you put me first, I'll take care of the details. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not some mystical thing, but at the same time, it's very real mm-hmm. that all of a sudden I had more time because I took that time. So I would definitely just as a word of, of testimony from my own life, encourage that. And I think um, just the lesson was in the beginning of the book for particularly the, the oldest, uh, I believe he's the oldest. His name is Jotham and he's kind of the main character and he kind of feels worthless because that's what his dad has told him all his life. You're worthless. You're nothing. And then he realizes through the course of this adventure that he has a purpose. Um, Juster, the king of the land who is, uh, no doubt supposed to be uh, like Jesus or Aslan, uh, makes him the leader of this band of four and says, you need to lead them. But of course, he learns some lessons about the dangers of, of lording it over, you know, when which I thought of immediately because my heart is with families. I thought of the husband and wife relationship a little bit because, uh, you know, a lot of times the world bristles when they say that a man's supposed to lead his wife. But the reality is that it's servant leadership. It's not you do what I say or else, but it is a leadership that says I have been called to protect you. And so I'm going to, with your help, try to make the best decisions for this family. And so, you know, I saw this character over and over again. Sometimes he would make the wrong decision and sometimes his friends would have to bail him out. But ultimately he learned the, uh, what the importance of being a servant leader to his, his friends and his brother. 
And so I thought that was good. And you just see growth in each of their lives as they learn to do the things they're skilled at. Like particularly um, the young lady, Carissa, she was merciful and compassionate. And she was given this potion, kind of like Lucy in in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which had the ability to heal uh, people and help them to get over whatever was ailing them. And you just saw her compassion over and over again. And you you see the development of her relationship with uh, Jotham, which I would like to see developed in a second book. So, Tim, if you're listening, please continue to write and bring them back. You would definitely appreciate that. But you, you see him realize that this friend that he didn't think too much about was somebody that was very caring and compassionate and he wanted to have her as a part of his life. And that was kind of a neat thing to see. And um, I just think the lesson, primary lesson, is everybody has a purpose. And when you find your purpose, then you can excel. And I've talked about this on numerous times on the podcast. Because really, if I had if I had been trying to fulfill somebody else's purpose, I wouldn't be doing this podcast now. I got the opportunity to do this podcast when I finally realized, hey, this is part of your purpose, and if you're if you'll open yourself up to my purpose for you, then I'll open opportunities, and this was one of the opportunities that got open. So, I would definitely recommend that if you have anybody in your family that's struggling with their place in in God's in God's economy, their place in God's kingdom. Reading this book would be a good way to encourage them. All right, Naomi, do you have a favorite story or part of the book? Maybe a quote. Not off the top of my head, so I'll let you take this one. <laughs> um, I there was just there was a lot of um interesting stuff. I'd say it was kind of interesting to twice. Um, once with Jotham and once with Carissa, they both thought they were receiving messages from people that were on the good side. And they were like excited to be around these people. And then they realized the deceptiveness, you know, and it kind of showed um, the dangers of looking at people the way we tend to, which is looking at their outward appearance mm-hmm. instead of judging from their heart. You know, God says to us, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart for Samuel sixteen seven, And you saw, saw that part underscored, uh, quite a bit. And, uh, I, as a side note, I thought the descriptions of food were, were very well done in this movie. And, there was multiple times when I got hungry reading the book. So I don't know if he wants to come out with a supplement cookbook to explain all these recipes that he alludes to. That's another uh, recommendation there, Tim, just putting that out there. Um, But anyway, uh, I, I just, I had a lot of fun with this book. I thought it was um, very uh, engaging when it started to get slow, then something else exciting happened. So it didn't Mm -hmm. stay slow very long. And there was an interesting parallel between the fictional world they ended up in. And then the, what was happening in the real world as they were going through this, 
And much like Narnia, there was no time passage while they were in this land, which they never say exactly how long they were there. I kind of get the impression that it was some, somewhere along the lines of at least a year. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, between yeah. the time they went there and the time they came back. But no actual time had passed, like I said, much like Narnia. So I'm wondering if there was a sequel, if they'd go back and, and find everything in ruins like the like the kids did for the Chronicles of Narnia. I don't know if that will be the case, but um, we'll see if a sequel actually happens. Um, but anyway, I just thought there's a lot of good stuff in here, and I don't want to give away too much of it anyway, so I'm kind of glad that I'm not remembering a, a ton along those lines, but I would just recommend that you read it and that you in, enjoy it for what it is. And and their struggles are often our struggles. You know, we can tend to, at least I know I can tend to in times, I, you know, I have no problem in a lot of ways taking leadership in certain areas, but there's other times where that can be a bad thing where you kind of go from being a good leader to starting to be bossy and being somebody that no one wants to follow and, that's not what we want. So we want to make sure that we keep everything in perspective. And then I, I also just really like the fact that when he comes back, when they come back to the real world, uh, they realize the lessons they learned in Ishtar uh, were lessons that could carry over into their real life and dealing with their friend that really needed help. And that's, you know, that's one of these intense parts of the book. Mm-hmm. That's what, one of the things I said I was surprised about, that even in the end, there's a really intense battle of spiritual warfare. Perhaps that's why Naomi mentioned it for 12 and up, just because that could spark some interesting discussion. If you're prepared to have it, then you could read it to someone younger. But if you're going to have them read it by themselves, 12 and up is, is a good game. Yeah, I mean, each parent knows yeah, their exactly. child. They, they do. So. They do. And, but I... But I think that that was that's one thing that you know I often think about. We often don't like to talk about it in that that frank of terms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we like to think about it. Well, that happened way back in the Bible times or whatever. When in reality, the devil's still alive and well. So I won't say anything more than that. I'll have to read the book to find out what I'm talking about. But just to keep that in mind, I think that's an important thing. Um, and then what character did you relate to most in the book? I'll start with this one. I think I related to Jotham just because I'm an oldest and, um, I just, I could see myself making a lot of the same mistakes he did as far as, um, you have to do what I say because I'm the oldest. I think I especially struggled with this because in a very real way, they didn't have to do what I said because they could just walk away from me because I was in a wheelchair. So there was tension there, you know, and, you know, sometimes they could make me do things that I wouldn't necessarily want to do, not necessarily in a horrible way, just because, you know, they could. But my point being that I have had some of the same struggles in learning to be a a servant leader and being someone that realizes that leadership is not just dominant. It's about being a servant, and it's about wanting to bring out the best in others, whatever your relationship, whether it's with your siblings, whether it's with a spouse, whether it's with a friend, you know, just knowing that you want to bring out the best 
in them. And um, did you have anything to add about? No, I, I think. I think that that's one of the cool things is each character does present a different thing that we do struggle with, whether it's leadership. You know, Chris has more the compassion, like you said. Um, and yeah, I know that uh, being an oldest sibling as well. You know, now my siblings talk to me like, you are so mean to me. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I had to be in charge. and um, But definitely could have done a better job. So, Yeah, and, and you know, you, you learn things from experience. I, I think another thing that's interesting about this book is how, in a very real way, they are children. And at the mm-hmm. end of the book, that's one of the things that their arch nemesis kind of says to them. He's like, your children, this ruler, he just sends children to do his job. You're no good. But it kind of goes back to that principle that God isn't looking for age as a single determining factor. He's looking for maturity. Mm-hmm. And whether whether you are 15 or 50, maturity is a choice. You know, Paul says to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on your youth. We don't know how young Timothy was. He could have been in his 20s or 30s even and still been considered a youth for the position that he held in, in the church that he was in. Or he could have been younger, like 19 or 20. We don't really know. Mm-hmm. But the point being is that whatever age you are, um, and I tell this to the kids I work with at Potter's House all the time, you can still be an example to those over you. Um, we see that with Daniel. Daniel was a slave who was um, taken to Babylon, and he chose before he went there that he wasn't going to go against God's will, and he had the courage to stand up for his convictions, and he ended up healthier and better able to do the job than the people that did eat the king's food. And as a result, he served not one, but four godless kings in a godly Mm -hmm. way. And to me, that's convicting. Because I look at some of our leaders today and I'm like, would I be willing to serve a godless leader um, for the sake of the kingdom of God? Or would I use the excuse, well, they're godless, so I can't serve with them at all? And of course, there's a lot of factors that go along with that. Um, So it's not something that you can just say one way or the other, carte blanche. But it's definitely something to consider when you look at um, how some of the people in in the Bible served. I mean, David served Saul, and Saul was always out to get David, and David never um, took revenge on Saul. So that's just another example how that works. Um, so we're getting close to wrapping up, but uh, Naomi, was there anything that was particularly surprising that you you were thinking one way before you started reading the book and then you opened it and you started it and it was different than you thought. Yeah. The opening and starting it. (laughs) I remember he sent me a text like, wow, that started differently than I was thinking it would. And I was like, yeah, that kind of took, it kind of threw me off. Yeah. Okay. Where is he going with this? Yeah. The first (laughs) chapter was really, it really throws you for a loop. So it gets Mm -hmm. you right in. And then when it goes to um, the fictional land, 
You're like, is he ever going to get back to anything right. in the real world? Or is he just going to end right after they get back? How is it going to tie in? And then, of course, you do get information at the end how it does tie in. But it it, it was a very interesting first chapter. And so I'd encourage you to, you know, pick it up, start reading it. You won't want to put it down um, and, you know, enjoy it. And so I just I hope that people will get this book and it will support uh, my friend, and if you get the book and you read it, then you'll have even more reason, like I have, to, you know, write a review and request a sequel <laughs> from this author because it's a good book and it would be great to see a sequel. I'm putting that in there again, Tim, so I hope you're listening. Let's start a uh, Facebook cause for it. Yes, exactly. Paladin sequel. Please like. All right. Well, um, I... I think the most surprising thing about the book was just all the different stuff in it. You know, like there's just so many different elements that he somehow weaves together in such a way that while it is a lot of stuff, it's not too much stuff. You know, sometimes when you weave a lot of stuff in, you feel like it's a a ton of stuff and it doesn't really go together. But he did a pretty good job of weaving different elements and there were times when you just really felt like you were there. Like, like I said, I kind of was joking about it, but really the food was a part of that because mm-hmm. the way he described it wasn't just, Oh, we ate this time. And, but it was just really describing what it would have been like to sit there and be a part of the meals, which I think is very important because, uh, meals are an important, uh, part of our socialization in our society, we're kind of losing that a little bit as we go on. But um, for those of us who were able to grow up uh, in a family where we sat around the dinner table every night, it's something that I re- that I think about a lot. And so I liked that element of the story. And um, I just, I think it was surprising how it all fit together. And you could see so many parallels from other stuff that had been done, but it kind of took the best of all of them and put it together in a very fun to read book. So, um, one final question that we need to answer, and that is, Naomi, what reason would you give for why somebody should read this book? Well, I always like allegoric books. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. <laughs> Allegories. <laughs> and the president. Yeah. <laughs> and this is a really good one. So, and then also, like you said, support a local artist or not local to you. And um, I know he's on Amazon. That's where I got my copy. And leave a leave a comment, and because that really helps them to you know recommend it to people that might like it. So yeah, absolutely. And like I said. Um, uh, before my ebook is on Amazon as mm-hmm. well. And so we'd definitely appreciate you picking it up. It's only $8 and uh, we may be having uh, another sale soon to kind of get the numbers up a little bit. Definitely appreciate you purchasing. Um, and I'm going to continue to be writing. I haven't written as much on the blog lately, but maybe picking that up a little bit more as we go on. 
And of course, we're going to continue to review good books here on the Speaking for Him podcast. Next up for us is um, Eat More Chicken um, by Truett Caffey, the founder of Chick-fil-A. And it's very appropriate since um, we have Chick-fil-A coming to West Michigan very soon. Um, They have broken ground. I don't know what progress they will be at by the time this posts. Um, But uh, I'm very excited that Chick-fil-A is coming. And apparently they are coming in a big way. Adam, I just saw this week, as of this recording, that the Wyoming-Michigan Zoning Board just approved a Chick-fil-A. Woo! So we're coming. They're coming even closer than Lansing to my backyard. Yes. So as I said, don't be surprised if Adam and I do a podcast from a Chick Fil A location during a grand opening. I am just saying. <laughs> will there be videos so we can actually see the food? We will oh, see. Will we'll be. see. I I need. I really need to contact them and see if we can get something like that in the works. But anyway, stay tuned. Enjoy. I hope that you will pick up this book, and I hope that you will um, pick up and read uh, Eat More Chicken with us. Again, it's by um, S. Truett Cathy. You can get it from Amazon or any online book retailer. You should be able to get it from your local library. Um, but So pick it up and, and read it. Typically what I do is I start reading the books the week that the podcast airs, so I usually give myself a little bit of a break from the book club books after we record and also that gives people enough time to actually pick it up and read along with us and then a few weeks after that we will be back in the studio to record a podcast about this episode and as we believe it or not head to our third book out of four for this year that means we will be really seriously considering titles for next year already so please um if you have any suggestions about that then let us know if there's any categories of books that we haven't really been focusing on that you think we should add or or replace. Then let us know that as well with the contact information that will roll at the end of the show. Naomi, thanks again for coming in. I hope that everybody will enjoy a good read this weekend. Pick up the palette and start reading it with your family. And until next week, keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him, alongside his co-host and executive producer, Adam McNutt. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking For Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 